and we are live like Memorex. How you been, man? Another week ah. in the bag. Oh, I've been good. Been good. It's a three-day weekend, and uh, it's kind of a cold day in Detroit today, but uh, the weather continues to improve. It's really spring. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm. Uh, How about you? I'm doing be- the weather down here uh, was nice, and now it's kind of cool. Um, not like super cool or anything, but uh, yeah, kind of cool. Kind of like that early spring cool. Um, man, I'm I'm kind of learning a little bit and uh, feeling better on this lap steel guitar than I was last week. All right. There's nothing that like. Uh, a good drummer will do to enable your jam sauce to get on. <laughs> and yeah. my my drummer is Garage Band. <laughs> the, the, the Garage Band drummer never misses a beat. You can set the exact tempo. Uh, the drum sound is uh, I, I no one I've known can tell the difference. And uh, so it's it's nice. I'd rather. I mean, ideally. Uh, a, a real drummer with the uh, sounds of like real drums are great, but um, yeah, I'm just sitting in. I got my little studio, and uh, you know, it's taking some lessons. I, I got a, I bought like a down a downloaded this whole series of like lap steel guitar lessons, and got on this other guy's YouTube channel. Uh, shout out to the country cuz if you're on YouTube, look up country cuz lap steel. He's He's great to listen to just because it's talk like he's a, he's a old boy from down Alabama talk like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, That's probably exactly who you want to learn lap steel from. Exactly, yeah. man. And like I could listen to him like just talk like that all day. Um, so yeah, that's going pretty good. Uh, the uh, the work life is uh, going well pretty fast paced and uh getting better at all things uh all the time i guess that's all you can do you know is there an uptick of uh in the springtime uh, because you're i mean you're harvesting mushrooms so i don't know if that's really that much seasonal or not so like uh there's two mushroom markets in the united states right so you have your traditional button mushrooms, which are like, so your creminis, your uh, portobellas, those are all just different stage growths of button mushrooms. Interesting. Okay. I, I had no idea a portobello would be related to uh, one of the small. Yeah, it's, it's just grown. Like kind of small and yeah, they're really gray. Yeah, they're really small. Yeah, so like, so they'll, they're basically harvested different different uh you know levels and uh, phases of their development um and about 90 percent of those are all grown in like two counties in pennsylvania um and have you got caves is that the thing no they're just like uh i'm not sure exactly the reason why i know there's got to be some sort but no they grow these things like uh they're massive industrial operations. Um, mm. I, mean, I mean, like when they're getting the 
substrate ready. They use they use like you know large bulldozers and moving equipment. Um, yeah, and if you if you look up on YouTube, you can find you know mushroom farm tour. And there's a, a few of them that are of the of the really large type. Um, and then there's the whole there's a gourd that they grow. Uh, I think they grow on like mushroom compost, and I'm not exactly sure straw. Um, but yeah, they grow at a massive, massive, massive scale. Uh, the mushrooms are pretty easy to grow. So essentially they grow, they won the capitalism contest. They grow, uh, they're, they're, they grow in mass, they grow easy, and they transport really well. And then there's the gourmet mushroom industry, which is smaller, um, but growing definitely, uh, with the in interest in mushrooms. And then you'll see mushrooms like the oyster mushrooms, uh, lion's mane mushrooms are pretty common, um, chestnut mushrooms, then a whole array of like medicinal mushrooms. So you got like big agriculture mushrooms, which is, you know, like green giant mushrooms in a can. Um, <clears throat> and then like the kind of finer life mushrooms. Like everything in America, it's all uh, divided down class lines. <laughs> yeah, poor man gets the. Uh, <laughs> I, I call them janitor in a drum mushrooms, actually, but the uh, green giant mushrooms. <laughs> and uh, janitor in a drum mushrooms. Yeah, and then like everyone always asks about morels this time of year. Um, I have not seen any morels. Uh, I noticed. Uh, well, that's that's like the number one to go pick, right? When you're going to yeah. gather wild mushrooms to eat. Yeah, a lot. Of, there's a lot of different mushrooms to forage. I mean, you, all the stuff that we grow, people forage in the in the forest, like lion's mane, oyster mushrooms, um, turkey tail. We make medicinal mushrooms out of that, um, and then. Morels are, are kind, you know, they're kind of like the mushroom adventurers mushroom, you know, because they they come out during really just a small subset of temperature ranges and like it's got to be warm at night. And they also grow in concert with tree root systems, right? So um, that's one of the reasons why they're hard to cultivate or no one cultivates they, them. They grow off tree roots? Yes, they grow in, they have a symbiotic relationship with tree roots. Okay. Yeah. And then there are people who say, oh, you can grow morels. But yeah, the people who have had success growing morels grow black morels. They don't grow the blonde morels that uh, a lot of people don't like black morels. And I don't think it's nothing, uh, it's nothing racial. <laughs> They're just not mm -hmm. quite the... Uh, the um, the palate pleaser as the blonde morels are. It's funny. I see mushrooms on my street when I'm walking my dog, and I'll, I'll yeah. watch them go through their whole life cycle. And they, they come back in you know certain places, the certain yards. Um, they reappear every year, and the soil is just uh, packed with fungi. There are fungal networks that are literally hundreds of miles long um, of like one mushroom. They're, That's cool. 
Yeah, they're absolutely fascinating. And yeah, there should be a good one of the problems that we have with the soil. Um, you know, the Midwest, I remember as, as a small child, like driving out like in the outskirts around Dayton, you know, it's all rural farm country. And everyone would be like, look how black the soil is. Look how, and it was like, it really was. It was like amazingly black, just rich. And it's why this region became like such a massive bread basket. Mm -hmm. It's not like that anymore in many places. And if you go uh, look at the soil from a farm that's been, you know, just uh, if they really haven't taken good care of the soil, uh, and there haven't been conservation practices like you know some years they'll uh what are the plants called they like give back to the soil uh can't think of them off the top of yeah. my head now plants that uh that uh put nutrients into the soil rather than pulling them out yes so if they haven't done that like the sand i've seen i've been to some farms around here with the sand the uh, listen to me i'm saying sand because the soil looks like sand um there's not that deep rich color um and when you put all these fertilizers on the soil eventually you're going to mess up the fungal microbe mix in the soil which should naturally be there and so we we hope to get involved in some opportunities to show that uh, we can bring the natural fungal microbe mix back to a healthy level and clean environmental toxins uh, mm -hmm. so that's some of the stuff we're involved with and then just growing food all the time but yeah we're uh we're a, we're we're, we're a, a, a pimple on the uh on the forehead of the mushroom industry compared to the big ag growing mushrooms out of pennsylvania but you're doing it and you're uh, you're in that one of those niche markets, right? Where you're growing high-end mushrooms. Yes, and like actually, like all food products, there's more money uh, to be made in processing food into food products, as opposed to just like here's the raw materials. You know. Interesting, but you're talking about this fungal balance in the soil. And we're seeing these giant uh, uh, sargasso uh, seaweed mats that are, are just huge and devastating beaches in the Caribbean because they just blanket them. And uh, they say a big part of the reason why the uh, water's warmer and there's gigantic amount of fertilizer being dumped on land in West Africa and then running into the ocean and uh, where it's feeding this sargasso seaweed that's drifting westward across the Atlantic. So is it like a seaweed continent on the ocean? It is. It is kind of like the plastic continent in the Pacific? Like the plastic continent, yeah, which is another I just don't understand how is it that we've got uh, plastic garbage islands bigger than the state of Texas in the ocean and 
it's not the number one priority for all of humankind to clean it up. I mean, it, it threatens all life on this planet, I would think. There's that. Uh, you could put stack on top of that so many different things. Like, uh, you know, what do they got now? They're talking about uh, forever chemicals are in the water that uh, like are used by like fire departments across the United States. Oh, it's huge in Michigan. Uh, like PFAT. Foam. Yeah, PFAT. Yeah, it's big down here too uh, because uh, there's a big issue with Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Of course, you know, it's the military will pollute the shit out of anything. With four massive sack bases with B-52s in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And closed now and they're found you know all to be heavily polluted all the groundwater around it with PFAS from the Air Force firefighting foam and uh, it's funny because those uh, former Air Force bases the a lot of the land got sold off my buddy was interested in you know oh maybe I could you know, buy a unit of the former base housing and it could be a hunting cabin. Well, <laughs> the economy collapsed and they become like meth, uh, meth production centers and squatters. It's like a Michigan meth version of trailer park, boys. Yeah, meth squatters, you know, in Otsego, Michigan, or, uh, yeah, Alpena. Uh, Otsego's not right. It's it's another name that starts with an O, but it doesn't matter. You get the. I was in Oswego once. That that's what I was grasping for. Oswego. That's where the sack base was. Okay. There was K. I. Sawyer. There was. I forget about the names yeah. of them all. There were there that's were four of them. And apparently yeah. the. Yeah. It the seemed P-fast like quite the uh, middle class. Um, vacation spot up there. <laughs> Oswego. Just that whole lake area, man. It's just like summer cabins everywhere up there. Sure. Yeah. If that's considered but maybe upper middle class. You got a cabin like somewhere. Yeah. Who knows? Who's we don't even know do we know the definitions of middle of the classes anymore? Other than like super rich and like uh, just co- <laughs> the constantly, yeah, constantly struggling throughout your existence before you die. I mean, I think that's the two, isn't it? <laughs> certain flavors well, what, I, of what the made great was the the large prosperous middle class, right? And and it seems as if what uh, you know the middle class has been shrinking. Let's just put it this way: Is there a middle class? left <laughs> yeah is there a middle class no one ever asked that question where's it at where's the middle class at how do we define them how do we know that like oh, i'm you're sure that there's uh, definitions for you know the amount of income mm-hmm. but uh uh yeah it seems like the uh, the big the heyday of the middle class was maybe about a 50-year period and it was probably brought on by the laws that were changed in the aftermath of the Great Depression. Yes. So in the late 30s, you know, they put in banking laws and uh, Roosevelt had the, uh, 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 what was the act called? Or the, 
basically it, it created a the new a, deal. Whole, well, the new deal, but the the explicit piece of the new deal that I was grasping for there was so you could uh, buy a house because so many people didn't so buy so, houses. They yeah, didn't FHA, want to go into debt. Mm-hmm. FHA. They created the uh, Civilian Conservation Corps. Low interest mortgages, the CCC, um, the support to the arts, the the, uh, uh, idea that uh, you could buy a house and pay it off in 20 years. And certainly uh, Dayton and Detroit and, and a good portion of the swath of the country in between where the auto plants were. Uh, if you worked at the plant, maybe the work was tough and the hours were long and uh, it was it was not an easy life, but the pay was better than being a farmer down south. And uh, you could buy a house and you could send your kids to college. And, uh, you know, that, that, that was the middle class. That's why Detroit had the greatest per capita home ownership of anywhere in, in all of human history. Uh, you could work at the plant. You could you could pay your mortgage, and that's why all those neighborhoods grew up in Detroit that were later uh, abandoned, and the houses all had to be torn down. And it's taken forty years, and they're not even all torn down yet. Yeah, and so I asked the question, knowing they're working on it. Myself, having gone through, you know, I started seeing the uh, the beginning of the ale. You know, what's ailing the. Uh, um, auto industry and really American industrialism around the beginning of the 80s but when I was a kid if you worked at the General Motors plant in Dayton or there was a bunch of other places it wasn't just General Motors there were associated uh, businesses that worked with General Motors completely unrelated but there was like there was stuff going on there was an active super super active you could walk in literally off a turnip truck from hazard kentucky and have a job where you could just what you said buy a house uh send your kids to uh pretty good schools live in a city that was uh you know uh, with a decent uh standard of life you could also do stuff like buy yourself a little bass boat and Head down to Kentucky on the weekends as part of the Ohio Navy, which which people in Kentucky call uh, the Ohio Navy because they you know get them bass boats and they're they're searching for bass. Kathy's girlfriend grew up in Kentucky, and she said in the summertime they'd live on a boat on the river, and oh, cool. uh, families that you know knew each other would they each had boats and. And they'd grow up swimming and fishing, and their dads would go to work, and they'd come back uh, to the boat when they got yeah. off work. So my grandfather, he, that dude, I'm telling you, man, he sired ten children, and um, they all, you know, and everyone pretty much did fine. They they all grew up. Uh, Got decent careers, you know, went off, did their own thing. Um, but he was a working as a working class. He, I mean, he came straight out of the hills of Kentucky, uh, working in factories in Dayton, Ohio, was able, 
that never would happen today, man. Them kids would all be like in all in and out of all kinds of uh, problems and programs, and uh, you know he'd be unable to take care of them. He'd be working four or five jobs, um, you know. So yeah, all that stuff is gone. But you know, what's the reason that uh, that it was? They actually said, okay, we gotta we gotta give some concessions here. Now, uh, it's because Roosevelt and other, other folks were aware of the fact that they're all going to get their heads cut off if, uh, they didn't do something fast because desperate times lead to desperate measures. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't, you know, necessarily like the president was, but like the ruling elites in the country at that time were either going to do something or people were so sick of the situation that uh, they're going to take matters into their own hands. People and, uh, still, I think, look back at, uh, you know, there's not not so many of them left alive anymore that were actually there remembered, but it's generally, I think, considered that uh, during the presidency of Eisenhower, that the company had prosperity you know, I like Ike. And um, Eisenhower, as a former general, you know, could say that, uh, you know, I want to limit uh, the amount of spending that's done on the military. And he gave a speech where he said he recognized, you know, every bomber, every battleship, you know, is that many less bridges and hospitals and schools. And, and uh, Eisenhower also, you know, there was a high rate of taxation on very rich people. And yet, uh, very few of them paid it because actually, in order to avoid it, they just left their money in the companies that they own, which gave those companies the money to do the R&D. And uh, it was a different time. But he's revered, you know, along the line, uh, in my interpretation, like they revere Reagan. And yet, if you go back and look at the policies that were in place, it was a completely different country. I, I would think that uh, Eisenhower is almost more revered by like kind of middle of the road Democrats now than he is at all in the Republican Party, even though he was a Republican president. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of the stuff he did was uh, was pretty progressive. It was about investing in the country. He saw. I mean, he was in charge of. Uh, you know the rebuilding effort in Europe, and he, you know, he built I seventy five between Dayton and Detroit. Hell yeah, he did. And you know another thing about Eisenhower that I learned that I didn't know: dude smoked four packs of cigarettes a day and quit cold turkey. <laughs> quit cold turkey. Oh wow! Yeah, doctor told him it was time to, you know, like your smoking days are over, and uh, old Ike quit. Right then, right then and there. Um, yeah, that's tough. To I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure he was annoying to those he was around for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I still say that like, the only way right now, the Republican Party is in a death spiral, right? They got like... I hope so, because they have... Uh... They have embraced an ideology that is a absolutely 
uh, it's death to uh, democracy in this country. They know that demographics are working against them and popular opinion is working against them. And they're fine with maintaining power by suppressing the vote, maintaining power by taking away the ability to vote from everybody and anybody they can who doesn't agree with them. Eventually, that leads to the Bastille, you know. Um, Eventually, that leads to the Bastille. It just does, you know, like anywhere throughout history. So if I think if the Republicans, if they want to take everything through gerrymandering and vote suppression, you can face the best deal or take my advice and say to themselves, I like Ike. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're spot on. They they don't like Ike anymore. He's way too like Yeah. So here's the thing about conservatism like now it's so repugnant to me i mean it's way more repugnant to me as an ideology now than i was when i was like 18 years old you know um just because like because they um at least in america it's all intergrained with like insane like evangelical christianity you know you can't like you can't separate that like uh the two and it's it's crazy. Like they're just like all oh, Christianity is has become a huge part of the modern Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's gotten more radical. Yeah, it's it's completely insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, spot on. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, you could go through like. It, I could go on all afternoon, just like I could pull clips off of just like insane things that a lot of these people say and think and like they really like want to take everyone back to some kind of like uh not it ne- some place that never existed in the past anyway you know um and they can't anyway because they don't got the numbers so if they want to become popular again their only hope is that their hope is not going through down like the role of you know christian nationalist fascism you know because then because then when they you know start uh saying like here's here's terrible rule number one you know uh and then they get they're not ready for the bat the true backlash they would get from things like that and what are you gonna do like start a christian nationalist fucking government in a place like detroit <laughs> you get you get your ass smoked <laughs> look at uh look at the reaction against the outlawing of abortion and, and, you know there's still it's a ba- they, it backfired they, on them they want a national ban on abortion they want a national ban on contraception and it's not popular it's not popular with the majority of americans and they have not been winning elections since they instituted but they don't care they're just single-mindedly fixated on it and you know those who they answer to uh aren't going to let up and uh you know more guns and uh uh less rights for women and uh neither of those things are popular but they're going to continue to push them and to them you know this bullshit fake culture war that they've come up with that to the true believers is an existential war to the death and they don't care if they have to disenfranchise everybody else 
and end democracy in this country. They are desperate to win that war. What is the war? <laughs> that's what. Right. That's what exactly. I'm not really sure of. Like, well, like, there's the like school going to turn your kids trans, whether you like it or not, or the kids like it or not. Uh, you know, it, you it, know it's the school. Common, school could hardly like get before. Blood drinking reptoids are going to turn your kids trans. Yeah, I, the, I school, that, the schools yeah, couldn't even get your all kids to 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 do their le- do their basic lessons before all the yeah. trans. Uh, the, the, the trans hysteria hit you know you know how hard it is to get some kids to study anything damn <laughs> i think everybody would like the kids to learn how to read and write but that don't yeah. seem to be happening yeah yeah so they've got yeah. all kinds of people all freaked out so i think going with that i like ike is their only hope because you know you got the whole military thing so you get a guy from the military, he's like, he's got the social libertarianism thing going, right? You know. Well, you're from Ohio. You remember Kasich? Wasn't he governor of Ohio? Or yes, he was. And yes. uh, he ran in 2016. Yeah. He was like the last mainstream, middle of the road Republican left in the world. Yeah. The only hope is, is like if they go back to the Ike thing and say like, okay, we want to do some, we want to repair these roads. We just want to make sure that the spending is done correctly and there's no corruption in the contracts. That's what people want to hear. You know, they don't really care about like, uh, how many people even, I, I've never, I've known like one trans person in my life, you know, and they were cool with I me and I was I met cool one. with them. You know, yeah. yeah I, I think I met one at Ford. Yeah. yeah they treated me well. Um, and I treated them well. That's all, you know. It's a, they would sit in the lunchroom and talk very uh, openly about uh, their journey and their change and how the company they had been with had been bought out and everybody got a severance. And that's that's what this person elected to spend their severance on. Uh, yeah. Hey, whatever you want to be is okay. So do you, baby. That's what makes America all great. Torqued up about it. <laughs> yeah. You it's know. the people who are all torqued up about it that worry me because it's usually something in them that they don't like. And they're, they're looking for somebody to take it out on. Oh, yeah. It's always like a... Uh, every time I've met someone who's like uh, friendly towards like authoritarianism or just, you know, like being like a a tough guy, dickhead, asshole. Um, <laughs> it always comes from insecurity. Thank always. you. Always. Yeah. It always comes around in fear. Yeah. Yeah. All that whole, every time someone is, I, I don't, it goes all the way up to, it, I, everyone's trying to flex all the time and just stop flexing. <laughs> stop flexing all the time america it's like so played out relax Dumb. Be relax you know hey we're talking about like you know climate change and stuff and that that the existential crisis that that uh exists with that but like still relax you know none of this was ever going to end well anyway even if none of that stuff was going on 
<laughs> so relax. If uh, if anyone's actually listening to this, life's too short to go through it constantly in fear and torqued up. Well, I had a, I had some good outrage. conversations this week. I made a uh, social media post to some of my friends, and uh, it said how much I loved waiting in line. Did I talk about this well, last you week? Talking about that last weekend. That oh, okay. Wine was okay, and actually there was enjoyable aspects of it. Yes, and that goes for everything else that we're waiting on. You know, not just waiting in line, but uh, just waiting in time is pretty cool. Existing in time, and we don't have to uh, constantly be chasing it, man. I've had a pretty good day of relaxation. Took a nap, as ah, ah, as ah. you know, is why I missed the original recording. And I I, uh, I must thank you, fine sir, for your flexibility. I'm thinking, uh, you know, as going forward, that uh, we maintain a more flexible schedule. We've missed a couple where it's like, you know, thinking back on it, I could have gone a little later if you were available. And chances are you were. Yeah, I always am. You know, like on Sundays, it's my. Uh, it's my sake it's my sacred day that's right yeah so what else is new anything i haven't Uh, been following any news man i've just been like unless there was like a nuclear bomb went off uh, we got the little warm spell and there was a big spate of gun violence and uh a lot of it was centered in greek town which is you know a huge tourist spot in detroit and there aren't that many Greek restaurants left down there, but it's still a cool street to be on. And so I thought, you know what? I'm kind of craving a good Greek dinner. So Friday night, uh, four of us went down to Greek town, despite the recent violence down there. And uh, there was a massive police presence, which was actually pretty good to see. And yet there were still crazy people wandering the streets you know, talking real loud like they were on the phone, except they didn't have a phone and the police weren't bothering them and they weren't bothering us. And we went and had a great, great Greek dinner at Pegasus. I had the Bronzini, a fantastic sea bass. And uh, everybody liked their dinner. We had a great time and uh, we went to Greek town and we didn't have any problem walking the sidewalks. Uh, it looked like the police have come up with a plan, and that's uh, flood the zone, which is all right with me. I I want to see you know Greek Town continue to thrive, and uh, yeah, it was that. And uh, they'll flood, so they'll flood the zone for a while, yeah. and then like uh, you know it'll tail off. Eventually, mm-hmm. and like the troublemakers will go make trouble some other place, and then they'll flood that zone. Well, the uh, police in Detroit said, you know, we usually ramp up our police presence in the spring or early summer, but usually it's it's you know a month or six weeks later than this. So we had had a warm snap, about eighty degrees, and suddenly there was. Uh, a lot of people getting shot. And then of course, nationally, 
suddenly everyone's getting shot, you know, for pulling into their neighbor's driveway by mistake, knocking on their neighbor's door by mistake, their ball going onto the neighbor's front lawn by mistake. And these yahoos with guns are murdering them for it. It's absolutely insane. Yeah, it is a nation with the emotional control of a three-year-old boy. (laughs) That doesn't mean all of us, but, like, there's millions of us walking around out there who, like, the slightest thing sets them off, you know, um, anything. And uh, I was justified. I was standing my ground. I was defending my castle. The ball went in your front yard. Yeah, you murdered someone for that, you know. Um, that in uh, in order to uh, focus on something more positive, anything different than that. <laughs> and, uh, I got a new Hendrix album. I've been listening to Jimi Hendrix that I've never heard before in the year 2023. And this album was considered a lost Hendrix concert. It was Jimi Hendrix Experience 1969 in Stockholm, Sweden. And uh, it's fantastic. You know, I've got a good Jimi Hendrix story. So when I was in seventh grade, uh, my Southern Baptist parents discovered that I had a Jimi Hendrix album. Oh my God, in seventh grade. Yeah. You were ahead of the curve. So I ended up, they sent me to the, they, they uh, went to the school and like uh, forced me to go to the school psychologist for <laughs> 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 like a J- Jimi Hendrix. I think, the, you know, it was, it's that, that uh, age, that's what kids do. You know, they discover new music and it's like, hell, it wasn't even in the music of my generation. It was their generation's music. You know, they should have been like flattered, but instead, I they, they freaked out and like thought I was going to get consumed by like the counterculture. <laughs> I got I got one that kind of matches that. My buddy, you know how sometimes in seventh grade they would have you yeah. sing along, uh, do pantomime, lip sync to a song or something. Yeah. So my buddy, uh, he was uh, the second youngest out of like ten kids, and he had older brothers and sisters. And he got a hold of his older sister's Cream album, and he brought it into lip sync to it. The song uh, "Tales of Brave Ulysses," featuring <laughs> the lyrics "Tiny purple fishes run laughing through your fingers," <laughs> and and when your fingers find when your fingers find her, she drowns you in her body. The teacher was so disturbed that. She went to my buddy's mom and told her there was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we're out of time. I hate this oh, debate. I'm so glad we could have this time. I'm so glad we had this time together. That's right. <laughs>